Morning, everyone. Good to see you and to uh, imagine all of the people watching us from home today. I know my family's at home in Abbotsford. We had about a foot more snow than everyone else, and, uh, and my kids were sledding on my garbage can lids down the hill last night. I just wanted to put them back before the raccoons got into my garbage bins. Gra Grandma Kenny said that she wants to go uh, hang on to the, the bumper of my truck afterwards, and we're going to do donuts in the church parking lot later. Uh, just to have a little fun, take advantage of the snow. So uh, would you bow with me with a word of prayer as we continue in our service? Father God, thank you for this day you've created. And a reminder that you do cleanse our sin as white as snow, that everything becomes new when we are in you. We've come here today to hear a word from your spirit, not from the pastor, but from your heart to your people. So I pray, Father, that what is spoken here we go beyond the speaker and hit the souls of those that are listening, and that you could be um, more important in our life, um, more central and more directing in all that we do. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. I do have to say that uh, the church was on notice this morning. I didn't know if I could drive in or not with the roads not quite cleared in Abbotsford like here. And Andrew was ready to bring his big diesel truck out to pick me up. And Neil was ready to preach in case I couldn't get here. So I appreciate the staff and I appreciate the, the leaders in this church to be ready and always available to serve however they need to. Uh, I haven't done this before and I don't know how it will come out online, but uh, would you sing with me? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. In the last verse, well, not the last, the third. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed we sing about God's amazing grace we thank God for giving his grace to us. We say grace at our mealtimes. We know that we've been saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8, we can quote John 1.14 that says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And we can come before the throne of grace. And it seems all a little bit confusing about grace. Uh, how can grace do so much for us? Grace is not a one-time gift that God gives to us when we are saved. It's kind of like uh, vitamins every day. You need a little bit of grace. As soon as you walk out the door of your house, you need God's grace, protection, and his provisions, and his guidance. And that's all a part of what grace is. The Greek word for grace has three primary meanings. The first is something that brings pleasure to someone or something 
so, uh, something that won, wins favor, like a delightful meal. I had a gracious time last night. Everything turned out in our Christmas dinner. It was like the perfect evening. The snow was falling. The family was at the table. All the food came together. Um, and it, it was like an evening of God's grace and his goodness to us. The second meaning is of charis, which is the Greek word for grace, describes a person in power who shows mercy or favor to someone of inferior rank. So when a king chooses to act kindly towards one of his subjects, it's an act of grace. Not necessarily deserved or earned, but someone in power, a position of influence can help those that are in need. The third definition of grace uh, denotes gratitude. So to express to someone uh, a thankfulness uh, for what they did. So when you say grace at your mealtime, you're expressing gratitude for God, for all that he's done. So there's these three meanings are kind of tied up in what grace is all about, but the Bible takes it even a step further. Because grace is a, a gift of kindness to someone who does not deserve it. So you don't earn it, you don't uh, you have to work hard for it, um, it's something that is given to someone that doesn't necessarily merit any kind of favor or extra blessing. And also, grace is not reciprocal. It doesn't go two ways. Grace goes from one person to another person without any expectation of return. So when God came to us, it says God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, he didn't say, I like that guy. He's working hard. He's really trying. I think I'll die for that person. No, it's not about what we did. It went from God to us without any expectation. Grace also looks at the potential, not the realities. It doesn't condemn those who have not yet arrived. Grace sees someone and all that God can do through that person, not that person, who they are right now, maybe with struggles, maybe with temptations, maybe failing for the next time after so many other failures. That doesn't matter. The past isn't the issue. It's what God can do in the future that grace is about. And also grace can be costly. Someone has to pay the price for grace. And sometimes we give up our right or our privilege or what we've earned or deserved and we hand it over to someone else. It costs somebody. Grace also focuses on Solutions, not the problems. Anyone can find a problem. But grace sees God at work in the midst of the problem. It's easy to condemn people when they're failing. But to, to stand with them and to help them stand on their feet and move forward in the midst of it, it's like, you know, that's, that's grace. Grace also leads to action. Grace without action is just good intentions or wishful thinking, but not grace. I'd love to take you for dinner one night. Yeah, well, that's all good and fine. But when you actually do, <laughs> then, then that will mean something. Stop wishing you, know, you could have been there, wishing you could have helped out or thinking about someone. Grace does something. Grace also celebrates success and does not keep score of wrongs. It chooses to remember the best. Think about 1 Corinthians 13, about love. You can just replace that with grace because it's all kind of tied up together. Think about the Apostle Paul. This is a great example of grace, but I'm going to show you all throughout the New Testament story after story of what God's grace can do. The Apostle Paul, though, is one of the best examples because he was 
the least deserving of God's grace. He was killing Christians. He was arresting believers, throwing them into prison. And God had the perfect opportunity on the road to Damascus to just zap him and send him on out of the way. Just get rid of this guy. I mean, it would have been great if you just get, take him and cast him into outer darkness for all that he'd done against God's people and God's church. But what did grace do? Didn't zap Paul. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And, and, and Paul's life was transformed. He says, Paul, I've got a lot of stuff for you to do. You've got to get things good together, Paul, because you've got a whole future ahead of you. His life was literally transformed in that moment, and he stopped being a fiend and turned into a friend of Christians, planting churches, preaching the gospel, serving Jesus. But that's what grace does. But it sees the potential in someone that's a menace. What about Zacchaeus? He was the most hated man in Jericho. Instead of Paul, uh, Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, you're you miserable, no good, whatever. <laughs> he said, Zacchaeus, you and I are going to have lunch today. And what did the, the, the shudder that went through all out Jericho society. You don't go eat with a sinner. But that's what grace does. It doesn't look at people like we want to see them. It looks at people through God's eyes. The potential for what can happen. God didn't even overlook Paul's sins. It is, it's not like, you know, all that past stuff, we'll just forget about it. No, he says this. Go for this one here, chosen vessel, vessel for me to bear my name before nations and kings and the sons of Israel. And I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. But I think Paul spent the whole rest of his life trying to make up for lost ground, trying to make up for how much damage he had done to the cause of Christ. There's such a transformation in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul realizes that God's grace was at work in him, and he says this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was toward me, has not been without fruit, but I labored more abundantly than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. That phrase has not been without fruit. It could also mean God's grace wasn't wasted on me. I didn't just receive God's grace and get my salvation and I'm good to go and I just live my life the way I want. He says, no, I, God didn't waste his grace on me. I worked hard. I invested in God's kingdom. I, 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 I preached the gospel. I suffered I went, I obeyed, I did everything I possibly could to please my Lord. Many Christians today seem to receive God's grace in vain. Some Christians like to remain in anger. I'm just an angry person. Well, why not let God's grace have its way? Well, I just get frustrated so much with people. They're just, I got, how about let grace change how you see people? Start seeing them through God's eyes instead of your eyes. Don't let God's grace be wasted. What a pity to have all of God's grace available to you and still have a bitter, resentful, unforgiving, or anxious life. And if these types of things enslave you, then you've received God's grace in vain. You're not letting His grace have its desired effect in your life. And furthermore, you're not passing it on to others. It's kind of stopping in you. Salvation is instantaneous, but godly character is not. Becoming like Jesus is a process, and 
It's something that you intentionally embrace and pursue. Paul took three years with Jesus in the wilderness, it says, learning about the way, learning about the kingdom of God, learning enough to be able to be sent out as a missionary from his local church. Three years. He didn't, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't waste his time. He went and studied right away. Remember the senior citizen, Abram, in the Old Testament? God came to him at 99 years of age and said, Abram, I got a plan for you. I'm going to make you a nation. He says, yeah, right, like we're old and we're not about to be having more kids. And he says, no, it's not about you. It's about what I want to do through you. It's not not your ability I need. It's your faithfulness and obedience I need. God looked at him and saw the potential for making him a father of a new nation. That's amazing grace. What about Gideon? When the angel came to Gideon in the Old Testament in Judges chapter 6, he was hiding from the Amalekites. He was terrified that he was going to be found out and have his grapes taken away or whatever. He, He was trying to just survive. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, you yellow-bellied wuss. You wimp. No, he said, greetings, mighty warrior. Was Gideon a mighty warrior? No, not yet. But when God's grace had its way in his life, he became a mighty warrior and defeated those Amalekites Without even raising a sword. God did it through him. You read the story in Judges. Well, what name did God give Peter? The one who ran like a chicken, denying Christ three times. Did I even knew Jesus? What did he call Peter? A rock. He was the first rock. We've got a new guy that likes to call himself the rock today. But geez, Peter was the first rock. Was he a rock? No, not yet. Not until God had his way in Peter's life. He became a rock. He became solid. He would give his life to die on a cross upside down because he was faithful right to the end. Every day God applies his grace to our life, helping us move in the direction of what he wants us to become. His heart's desire is that we will not be applying his grace in our lives only for it to be wasted in vain and to have no effect. He wants God's grace in us to have an impact on others. It's supposed to come in and go out to others. We're supposed to share the God's grace that came to us to make others see uh, what God wants and the potential in them. First, we have to look at them through God's eyes and see them as God sees them, full of potential. We don't look at people for who they are, their failures and misunderstandings or fears or silliness, but what they can become with God's grace. I remember looking at my, watching my kids as they grew up, you know, through the elementary years and, and the hockey lessons and the tricycles and riding a bike and swimming lessons and all these things, and then became teenagers. Their personalities were developing, their interests were developing. My wife and I were constantly praying, God, you know, keep them on the right path. Help them make good decisions. You know, guide them in the way that they should go. And how do we keep encouraging them and knowing that they're loved and supported? And, but God, you know, put your hand on them. And, and then to see each one of them responding to God's love. It's like, okay, but you can't stop. You got to keep, keep praying day and day and day because they're going to face lots of temptations and trials along the way. 
that we are trying to constantly impart whatever grace we have in us to help them to know God and to serve him as well. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, except what is good and necessary for edification, that it might impart grace to those who are listening. The modern King James Version says, Let no filthy word or communication go out of your mouth, but if anything is good for building up in respect of need, that it might give grace to the ones hearing. Every word you say is a choice you made. Words just don't come out of your mouth accidentally. You choose to say every single word that you say. It doesn't matter if you had a bad day, if you're overly expressive or like to exaggerate or you're under a lot of pressure. Every word is a choice, right? This verse says, don't let any, <laughs> the actual translation could be putrid word come out of your mouth. Period. Just say those things that are going to encourage and build up and impart grace to others. We don't have an excuse as God's people for tearing people apart, for ripping them down and, 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 and putting them in their place. That's not our job. We can impart grace through our words. Kind words bring healing to deeply wounded souls. God isn't the only one that gives grace. We too can give grace through our words. They can give life or they can suck it out of people. When I was um, an associate pastor of everything in Winnipeg uh, some years ago, I was in charge of religious education, the Sunday school uh, program, and I ordered all the materials for all the teachers. The problem is it came up from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Lifeway Publishers would send the stuff up, and then the Canadian Customs Agency would just hold it for fun. Like, we just, let's give it another three weeks, and then we'll send it up. And so the, the material came late uh, this particular quarter, and one of my Sunday school teachers came up to me. She kind of marched up to me. Like, <laughs> she says, where is my Sunday school literature? I said, we ordered it like two months ago. It's probably waiting at customs. She said, it's not good enough. If you were in the secular world, you would have been fired a long time ago. And she turned around and marched away. I was just like, well, good morning to you too. <laughs> Clearly, she didn't have the gift of encouragement. <laughs> I was stunned. I mean, pastors generally are like a lightning rod. We get a lot of people's anger because they were like a safe target. Often, we can't really fight back. But, you know, you can try me on that, see what happens. <laughs> but I just was stunned. And so later that week, I found out that she was in the shower that morning, and she had a cold and a hot water, and... She turned the cold water off, but her left hand would not turn off the hot water. And she got scalded. And she, as a nurse, she was suspecting that maybe she was developing MS. She was terrified she was getting MS. And she saw me. Things weren't the way that she wanted them to be, and she just blew up. So I decided to be her friend. And uh, at camp, youth camp that summer, I would go to her trailer, and we would have tea in the afternoon and biscuits. Not like... Canadian biscuits, but British biscuits. <laughs> and, and I was kind to her, and I helped her, and I was a friend to her. And by the end of the year, she actually came to me and said, Tom, you're the best pastor we've ever had. So I put that with the you should be fired thing, and it kind of evens out. <laughs> but I just thought, 
I could have worked, uh, acted differently towards her, or I could have chosen to show grace. And I decided to maybe experiment just to see how, how this would work. Does this grace thing really work? Can I return uh, evil with kindness? Yes. God's grace works. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer each person. Do you want to be a gracious person? Maybe 2022 is the, the year of grace where we try it out. If you want to be a gracious person, focus, first of all, on the positive. Don't focus on the negative. Be the person who can always find something good to say about others. Don't you just love to be around someone who's always positive, encouraging, and saying good things? Well, be that person. Don't go to find that person. Be that person that people want to... I remember I was kind of being nasty a little bit, and I was trying to get a friend of mine to say something bad about another friend of ours. And he refused. Like, I was giving him lots of hints and lots of stuff to work with. He, he just would not say something negative. And I, 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 to this day, have a tremendous amount of respect for him. That he couldn't even be pushed or encouraged to say a bad word. You want to be a gracious person? Don't waste time talking about the things that can't be changed. I remember we had a single mom in a past church whose kid was just a bit wild. And uh, lots of people just, you know, total, what's wrong with her? Why can't she discipline her son? Well, that boy is so out of control. And going, you know, that, none of those words help. Criticizing and condemning don't help. How about you go take her for lunch? How about you, 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 you get your husband to work with the kid? How about you help her do what needs to be done? Don't just point fingers and blame. Get involved. Grace takes action. How about number three? Choose to talk about the things that do matter. A lot of our conversations, so you go in the foyer after the service, you talk with someone for 20 minutes, you leave the conversation, and did you actually talk about anything important? Anything of significance? Did you just spend... 15 minutes of your time when you could have said, how can I be praying for you this week? It, it takes it right down to another level. You, be, you just get rid of the surface conversation. Let's just go right down another level. How's it going with your kids? How's it going at work? You know, not like, boy, the prices of gas are all strong. You know, like and the weather. Guy, worthless stuff. How about we just go right underneath the surface and start asking stuff that matters? That's grace. Because it says you care. You want to be involved in their life. You want to touch their life where it matters. How about number four? There's phrases like, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I was wrong. You are important to me. I love you that can disarm and encourage and support and open up dialogue with others. Those are great phrases to start a conversation. I'm sorry about, please forgive me. And they're like, what? You never say you're sorry. Well, I'm trying. You know, I'm going to try out this Pastor Tom's grace thing, see if it works. But it opens yourself up and says, you know what, I, I make mistakes, and I want to make it up to you, whatever I can do. That's grace. How about considering not saying some things that you would love to say? You know, withholding comments is sometimes just as encouraging as saying something, because what you want to say can maybe do a lot more damage. Rather than saying what you really feel like saying, how about you breathe a prayer for that person instead? From time to time, over the years, I wrote some books, and so I get the extra money from... Used to, I used to get a lot of money, and now, you know, the books kind of go on the bargain bin after a while, and that kind of stuff, so uh, secondhand bookstores. <laughs> At the beginning, we would get some extra checks sent to us from publishers, 
And when we were living overseas, um, I, I would call the denominational office and say, hey, what, what pastors in the churches in Europe here aren't getting paid their salary from their church? Which churches are struggling to pay them? And, and I would get a list of three or four names. And so then we would randomly pick a name, write a check, put it in the mail, and send it off to them, just saying, you know, we were blessed, so we want to bless. And uh, later that year, I was at a conference in Germany, and this middle-aged man came up to me and says, Tom, Tom Blackaby? He said, yeah. Uh, don't move. I said, okay, I won't. I'm going to go get my wife. He said, okay, so he went and brought his wife, and they stood before me, and they said, you don't know us, uh, we don't really know you, but... About six months ago, we were done with ministry. We were struggling, we were discouraged, and we said, God, if you even know us, if you even care, if you even see what we're going through, can you give us some kind of sign to show us that you actually see where we are and that you care about us? And you know, the next day, your check arrived in the mail. And we're still there, we're still serving. God used you to keep a ministry in the church alive. Did he deserve that check? I don't know. Does it matter? But when God says, I want you to show grace, you could save someone's life, someone's ministry, someone's career, someone's marriage. When God says, I need you to be grace for me today, to encourage someone, to take them for coffee, to watch their kids, to do whatever, to, to pay, for, pay for the meal of the guy that's behind you in line at Starbucks. You know, or Tim Hortons, and just do a random act of kindness. Just show grace. We have been so blessed. How about we pass it on? Remember, grace is not deserved. It's offered. It's not earned. It's given freely. We could have used that money for ourselves. Could have bought a new pair of shoes or a new whatever. But God had a plan for that to bless one of his people. Do you want to be a person of grace? Remember that grace builds up. It doesn't tear down. It gives what is not deserved. It is given without expecting anything in return. No strings attached. It looks at what can be rather than fixating on what is not. It doesn't condemn or give up on people. Grace emphasizes mercy, not justice. Remember Paul and Silas in prison? They had been severely beaten. It says they were beaten by the chief jailer. The chief jailer knows how to beat people and not kill them. He, he'd worked his way up to become the chief jailer. He was the guy who knew how to inflict the most amount of pain without taking somebody's life. They had both been beaten by the chief jailer. They were thrown into the prison, and middle of the night, they decide to have a little um, choir practice. And they're singing praises to God around midnight. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord, earthquake, uh, the, the prison doors are, are put open. And the, the jailer takes out his sword and is about to kill himself because he doesn't want to be responsible for all the missing prisoners. And Paul and Silas say, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Stick yourself there. You deserve it, you loser. You know, uh. <laughs> they could have, right? They could have said, you get what you deserve. Try and mess with God's people. This is what happens. What do they say? Put your sword away. We're all here. It's okay. He takes them home to his place. 
says, here's my kids, here's my wife, here's my servants, I'd like to introduce you. That night, the whole household is saved and baptized. Someone who had beaten them the day before is now a brother in Christ. Do you see what grace can do? If you look at people through God's eyes and not your own, do you see how it can impact entire families if we show grace to others? The secret of showing grace really is appreciating the grace God has shown you. Don't, Jesus didn't condemn the woman that was caught in adultery. He forgave her. He didn't condemn the woman at the well for sleeping around and having so many husbands. He, he said, you know, I forgive you. Rather than condemning Zacchaeus, he, he went home, changed his life forever. Criticizing Nicodemus, the Pharisee, for not having enough theology, he says, no, how about you, I give you the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, would have This is the guy he gave the famous verse to, the guy that was struggling in his own understanding of theology. How about Judas? Let's just end with Judas. One of the 12 disciples. Can you imagine having a Judas as a follower? Knowing He's going to betray you, knowing that he will be the reason you get crucified. He didn't treat him any differently. He, he, he blessed him. He encouraged him. He taught him. He ate with him, knowing he was going to be betrayed by this guy. That is incredible grace, to live with someone day after day, knowing what he's going to do to you, loving him anyway. Do you have someone in your life that's a pain? Do you have someone in your life that you just don't even want to be in the same room with sometimes? Think about Jesus having a Judas for three years and loving him and then dying for him on the cross. That's what grace can do. The scriptures say that we have received freely in Matthew 10, 8, so we should freely give. Any grace that God has given to you was done not because we deserved it, but because God loved us. Let us then impart grace in our speech and in our actions to those around us that need a word of hope, someone to show them grace maybe for the first time in their life. We pray. Thank you, God, for your tremendous love for us, for the way you show us grace every day. May we, Father, not use that in vain. May it do its work in our life. May we cooperate with what the Spirit wants to do in us. And may we then turn around and be gracious to those around us that they may come to know the saving knowledge of Christ. And they, they could sing with us amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see because of grace. Thank you, God, for this day and for another opportunity to serve you. Keep us safe in the roads and let us come back rejoicing for all the great things that you've done around us and through us as we obey you and follow you this week. I pray in Christ's name, amen.